The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media application for your smart device or now even on your desktop. I've been using Go Wild for a while, and here's what I want you to know. What it is, it's a social media application. It's like Facebook, like Instagram, like any of those things. But the whole purpose behind Go Wild is to promote outdoor content. You can go on here. You can see exactly what you want to see, whatever um, type of content you want to see, whether that be fishing, hunting, whitetail hunting, bear hunting, um, turkey hunting, just anything like that. You have so many endless options that you can check out and you can subscribe to each one of those things. And that's what you see. It's really cool, especially now in a day where social media has uh, really completely gotten out of hand. Um, Every time I log into Facebook, Instagram, or anything like that, all I'm seeing is negativity. Well, with Go Wild, you're going to see a bunch of positive people that love the outdoors as much as you and I do. So go and check out Go Wild on your smartphone or even on your desktop. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. Hey, you're back. You're back. I'm back. We're here for another episode of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode. Hope you guys are all doing well. And on this week's episode, I join up with a fellow podcaster. Um, you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, I did a swap cast with Doug Glimmerveen, and he had me on his podcast, the SmackDown Outdoors podcast. And basically what I did was I just took that audio that he gave me from that from that interview that I did with him, and I put it here for you guys to listen to. And now on this week's episode, I had him on my podcast as a guest. And Doug and I have kind of developed a friendship um, as, as folks, uh, you know, each having their own podcast in this world. We kind of bounce ideas off of one another. And you know what? He's just a great dude to talk to. He's got a lot to offer. And, uh, you know, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this podcast episode. It's a lot of, uh, you know, Doug and I just you know, basically shooting the shit with each other. And I I ask him some questions that have been on my mind about him of like why he started the podcast. And then we get into bass fishing, you know, how he kind of, uh, switched from a walleye guy per se over to more of a bass guy over the last year or two. Um, not saying that he's either hardcore one or the other, but you know, it's important to diversify yourself as an angler, um, to get, you know, find different methods to catch different species of fish and, Doug is kind of going through that journey right now and he kind of shares that with us. We also get into a little bit about you know what baits he's using this year and he kind of gives us some ideas of some baits that maybe if you haven't thrown yet to keep in mind and to start with uh, for, to go after bass. So it's really cool. I hope you guys go over and check out Doug's podcast. He's got two of them. One being the Smackdown Outdoors podcast and the other one Make Fish Famous. So make sure you guys go check those out over on iTunes and or wherever podcasts are heard. But uh, without any further ado, here's Doug. Yeah, man. What are you doing? Uh, well, I was just editing a, an episode for Make Fish Famous. Um, I recorded today in fly fishing with a guide out of Duluth. And uh, yeah. How'd so. that go? It was really good. You know, fly fishing is one of those, it's, it's, okay, so like I've had, 
uh, episodes like on you know jigging for bass. That's pretty simple, right? Yeah. Here's kind of the rod and reel setup, the line setup. You know what kind of jig. You know where you're looking, how you're doing this and that. Well, fly fishing is what are you fishing for, and then we tailor everything around that. Yeah. So it's not it's not like we can go. Okay, so if you're looking to get into fly fishing, go pick out a six weight or a five weight or a four weight. Here, you know, all that stuff. It's like, well, what are you fishing for first? Right. So it's it's way, way different. But it was a good episode. And, and you know, the kind of the story and kind of the theme of the show or the one takeaway, I should say, would actually be if you're looking to get into fly fishing, go to a fly shop and talk to those guys. Yes. I did one. You know? I did one probably a year ago now. Um the uh, the guy's name on Instagram is Kalamazoo River Guide or Fishing Guide or something like that. He did – he's like, you know, hardcore. You know, some of these fly anglers, like, I mean, it's it's a lifestyle. I mean, that's all they do. Like in the winter – this past winter, he went down to like the Keys and he was fishing the flats down there on like a flat boat and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I learned, I guess – a lot, but it's like drinking from a fire hose when it comes to fly fishing. Just because, oh, yeah. just because there's so much detail to it. I would say the details in fly fishing is it, it can be overwhelming, and you know it's definitely something I want to get into, but it's going to take a long time for me to digest over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those, and it's really not that expensive. You can get away with it for relatively cheap, but it's just well, if I want to go fish pan fish i've got to get that set up but then if i want to go bass i gotta get that set up yeah <laughs> and, and i don't have enough time to practice casting so you know what's funny is like you just said the, the number one takeaway from what you heard from your podcast or what you gathered from it was go to your local fly shop and get set up that's the exact yeah. words that he told me to do as well yeah well it's just so true i mean it's it's they're gonna you, you know we're talking about it on the episode that you can buy a rod and everything that you need on Amazon. But do you know that that rod is going to work out for you? Right. Cause not every five weight is the same. Just, you know, we, we brought up golf and we brought up archery. It's the same thing. You need to be fitted to this stuff. So it works for you because everybody's different. Yeah. And you know, I think like the fly shops and stuff like that, they're going to want to set you up right because it's something that they want you to be, involved with and keep coming back for and learning more. You know what I mean? Like not I mean, yeah. to get outside, you know, to get kind of into like the business yep. side of it or the sales part of it. It's like, they're not going to set you up wrong because if you get turned off for it, you're not going to come back to their fly shop anymore. And now they're losing more anglers. So exactly. But yep. Hey man, thanks for coming to do the podcast. Appreciate it. No, heck I, I, heck I appreciate you having me on. I've been kind of thinking I should probably get on somebody else's show at some point. Yeah, it's been, you gotta get it's been your a little while. Help, You've been on a few, though. Yeah, yeah, I get on them here and there. So I'm, I think I'm going to try to kind of, I don't know if once a month might be a little much, but at least every other month hop on somebody else's show, some new show that I haven't been on. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, a great, great way yeah. to do it. And I know, yeah, I knew you ran you ran my the episode I had you on or whatever, but you know it's kind of nice to just sit back, relax, and I don't have to think other than answering questions. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> and that's why we got you on today because you know if anybody listening to this podcast, uh, I've got Doug Limmervine on right now, and he hey, is hey the 
I guess, two-time host and creator of SmackDown Outdoors podcast and the other one that you started, Make Fish Famous, right? Correct. Yeah, that one uh, just released the ninth episode on Tuesday, as a matter of fact. Okay. So we're going to get into the podcast stuff, but if you want to, if anyone didn't listen to the podcast episode that I was on with Doug's show, why don't you give a brief introduction of you know who you are, where you reside, and then we'll take it from there. Right on. Well, my name is Doug Glimmervine, and I'm from Minnesota. Um, I live right in the Minneapolis area. I've been basically a lifelong hunter, fisherman, with the exception of kind of junior high and high school sports and, you know, just jobs and everything kind of got, you know, in the way. And uh, had a buddy introduce me kind of back into big time fishing. Mm, about a decade ago or so where it was like, okay, now I'm going to start taking this serious. And hunting was about, what was that? About 07. I started deer hunting again. Well, deer hunting for the first time. And then from then on, it's just been nothing but outdoors, outdoors, outdoors. And I started fishing uh, walleye tournaments about four years ago, took last year off. And this year I'm starting to get into the bass leagues and yeah, meanwhile, it's nothing but work, podcast, and fish. So I mean, it could be it could be a whole heck of a lot worse, I suppose. Dude, it sounds like a great life to me. Great way to live your yeah. life too. Well, and here's the most important part, and this goes mostly to the younger fellas um, or the single fellas out there, yeah. and and ladies. Yeah. Make sure that you find a spouse that will put up or join you in your outdoor lifestyle. Because when you get as deep as I have, I mean, it's hunting or fishing every weekend. Plus, then the wintertime, it's the shows. It's sports shows. And now the podcast twice, almost twice a week. Yeah. Um, it's just nonstop. And it's funny because when I'm home, especially on a weekend, my wife, like, sometimes says, why, why are you here? And why can't you go find something to do? Because <laughs> I just pace. I pace back and forth, back and forth. I don't know what to do. You know, it's like I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> well, it sounds like so. she's used to that lifestyle then if she's saying that to you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've been together uh, since high school. And I'm 38 now. And I've always been somebody that's been really, really busy. I mean, I had three jobs at once, you know, back in my early 20s and gone on the weekends all the time, this and that and the other. So when I'm around, she's like, why are you go do something? You're bothering me. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. How do you, okay, you know, this is part of the reasons why I started my podcast was kind of like that lifestyle that you're talking to, um, you know, heavily involved, gone all the time. Um, when I'm not working, I'm either hunting or fishing. And then, you know, I, then my wife and I had two little girls and, you know, we moved five and a half hours away from home. And I was thrown in this area where, you know, I couldn't fish all the time anymore. You know, I've, I've got to be there for her and the kids and things like that. And, you know, that's why I kind of started the podcast for me because I was like, you know, I'm, I'm bit, I was busy all the time and I was used to go, go, go with hunting and fishing. And then for it to come to a screeching halt almost. And, uh, you know, I, if I figured if I wasn't fishing, I want to be at least talking about fishing and learning about fishing. And that's when I, you know, I, I started the idea and, and picked up the podcast. What 
for you kind of got you to take your, your hunting and fishing angling to, you know, the next level? Uh, as far as the podcast, like why, why I started a podcast. Yeah. I'm a failed TV and YouTube guy. And it kind of started when I was, I started hunting about the third year into it. I'm like, you know what? I should start recording my hunts, you know? So my wife who she went and bought a camera, little tiny Sony handy cam, one of them like little $200 ones oh, that yeah. you can fit in your pocket. Yep. She actually bought me one and, and I went out and got a little, one of those little tiny tree arm things and this and that. And, uh, the only problem with that is, is when you don't kill anything on camera, you don't have any footage to show. And <laughs> so after doing that for a while and, you know, trying to get something on camera, never happened, never happened, never happened. I kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not going anywhere. And then I hooked up with a buddy of mine in Wisconsin and we had a TV show that um, it, we only got we get five, I think six episodes and it, it just didn't work out. I mean, it's once again, hunting, you've got to, you have to kill something. Right. I mean, plain and simple. And I didn't have a boat now. I, I wasn't really heavy into the fishing aspect of, I want to start filming, you know, I was fishing, but it was more or less just fun and goofing around. But, uh, yeah, the podcast, uh, I decided to start one, in the hunting and fishing world because I, I want to teach people. And that's why I started, started filming. I want to teach people. I don't care about being famous. I mean, on the TV show I did with my buddy in Wisconsin, I was never on an episode, but I wanted to tell those stories of those hunts because I want to teach people about, about the outdoors. Right. So, you know, after the TV thing went to heck and I've been listening to podcasts for a few years now and when I started getting into the fishing, I kind of picked up the camera again, started filming some stuff, but I never really did anything with the footage because honestly, I just got lazy of and tired and after fishing. And it's like, I'll get to the footage. I'll get to the footage. I'll get to the footage. And I never did. And by the time I would, it's already, you know, you forget about what exactly happened. So it's not like you can really do cutaways and this and that. But uh, I decided, you know what? I'm, think I'm going to do a podcast and I, I want to do a podcast. And after a little thinking about it and thinking about it, I finally took the leap or the, you know, I finally took that step and I bought a microphone and I started talking into it, started booking guests. And a year and a half later, here I am, I guess, with two epi two, uh, two shows now and a hundred and between the two shows, 135. Four, 435 episodes. Um, but I just love teaching. And this is a very simple way to teach people about the outdoors. You know, I open my show by saying, just teaching the outdoors one episode at a time. Right. And it's, it's just something, I mean, I'm the guy here. Here's the deal. I'm the guy you go to, you go to your local, I don't know if you have, we'll just say Cabela's right. And you're sitting there and with your buddy and you're in the aisle looking at Rapala's or whatever your baits are, and you guys are trying to figure out what you're using and da da da. And I'm in the aisle next to you, and I overhear the conversation. I come into your aisle, and I go, "Okay, guys, what are you talking about?" <laughs> you know, and right. they're like, "Oh, we're going here and da da." All right, well, here's what I would use. Right. So I'm I'm constantly that. I just love teaching people what I know, and I'm by no means do not listeners do not 
get it twisted. I am not a professional. I am not an expert. I've just fished a lot and I've learned a lot. So whatever I pass on is what I've learned from others. And that's one of my pet peeves is people aren't passing on enough knowledge. So if I have somebody on my show, I will tell them darn near the GPS coordinates, you know, right up to the point where I'm giving you GPS coordinates of my fishing spots. Because I'm going to teach people. I'm right. going to be dead in 30 years anyway, 40 years anyway. So what does it matter? Right. Pass on that knowledge. You know, just pass on the knowledge as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think my brain and your brain are kind of similar when it comes to the video thing. I've tried it in the past. It's frustrating. There's a message or there's something that I want to teach or get across. But, you know, I'm in sales and usually I'm talking all the time and usually my brain thinks best by just getting it out. And I felt like recording the podcast and saying or asking questions that are on my mind then and just, you know, having something t constantly record me all the time, it gets it out there in the world quicker too. Rather than for me, I'm just not as good at video and editing and things like that. Like you, like I, re I would record something, let's say ice fishing of me catching this fish and here I've got this video and now I, I know there's this message that I want to get out, but putting that together would take me weeks. And then by the time I get it ready, ice season's ending. And then I'm like, shit, now I got to wait a whole, you know, nine months before I put that back out there to make it relevant again. And then I put right. it back in my library or on my external hard drive. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's two years later. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that brown trout I recorded myself catching and I never did anything with it. And now that's three years old. And you know what I mean? And I forgot what I was right. trying to say. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. And I've started doing, I have a couple, um, kind of YouTube-y, YouTube-esque videos, I guess, on the Make Fish Famous uh, YouTube page. One is um, the, the, the five lipless crankbaits I use, and another one is on keeping minnows alive and the bait system that I use. And I the problem is, is that they're only like 15 minutes long or something. They're not long, but it takes three or four hours. Right. To minimum. And that's with like one cut, no editing to the footage. Because then you got to go in and you got to render it, and you got to upload it, and then yep. uploading takes forever, and you got to add tags and all this stuff. So, oh, yeah. what I started doing in my boat this last weekend when I was fishing is I have a GoPro going, and I would catch a fish, and then I would sit down in front of it, in front of the camera, and I would go, you know, here's the fish, da 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 da. We'll put that back in the water. Okay, so this is what I used. I used a Northland Tackle Jungle Jig. I've got a Juiced Baits trailer, and this is the rod and reel I used, da-da-da-da-da. This is how I caught it, you know, flipping these pond, these, uh, this docks. And there was an open, in, you know, bigger opening in between these two. I threw it all the way up as far as, I, you know, stuff like that. And what I'm going to start doing is doing that as much as I can. Take that short, like, I don't know, maybe it's three minutes. Just take that, cut it put it on YouTube, done. Dude, that's the simple shit that I think a lot of our audience wants to hear. And the feedback that I've got from people is that's the same, like, dude, just one-on-one it to me, you know, talk it, everything through it, what you did, why you did it, why you casted it there, what baits you were using. And like you just said, spit it out in three minutes. Cause I forget there's statistics out there of like people's view times and listen times of like what, how many people, how long they spend on like YouTube, how long they listen to a podcast and things like that. And I feel like the YouTube thing, the attention span shorter than it is when you're listening to something. So I think you're on the right track with that, where you're just kind of getting it out there. You've kind of got a camera rolling all the time and 
yeah, keeping it simple is actually more. Less is more, if that makes sense. Yeah, YouTube, uh, ten minutes max. Right. Don't make don't make don't make a video that's longer than ten minutes until, of course, you get hundred thousand people that watch it that that are dedicated. You know. Right. Then they're gonna watch. You know, Aaron Weeb uncut angling. People are watching thirty nine hours of fishing. Well, it's Aaron Weeb. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's plain and simple, but. If you're just trying to get information out there, keep it under 10 minutes. The shorter, the better. And as far as how, you know, I'm not a YouTube expert. Some people say put as much out there as you can. Some people say only drop it as much as you can. I think if you come out with a lot of stuff, you know, come out with like a half a dozen really short videos at the same time. If you're a new one, new new channel, come out with those six. People can binge watch them and then they'll subscribe and maybe subscribe. And then they're more likely to watch your next one that will come out in a couple days. And then your next one that will come out in a couple days. And, you know, the bigger, the more subscribers you have, the less often you can come out. Um, number one thing with podcasts, with YouTube videos, with anything, is just content that makes sense that's good. Not right. just making stuff that's just to put it out there. And be yourself. Yeah. I mean, just don't be the next, you know, Mike Iaconelli. Right. Don't yell after every two pounder. Right. You know, I mean, be your, just be yourself. You don't have to be that. And you know, that's the one thing with my podcast is like, it's me. Yeah. You know, my, my make fish famous. I'm a little more, I am more professional than SmackDown outdoors, but that's cause I want, I literally want everybody young, old fish, don't fish, whatever to get into it. And they don't, you know, SmackDown outdoors podcast. I, I can get off the rails a little bit. But that's just a couple of guys or whatever just BSing about the outdoors. So kind that's, of, that's that's garage talk. Yeah, kind of distinguish between the two uh, of you know the, your genre between the two or your your message that you're kind of or the I guess what they should expect when they listen to a SmackDown Outdoor podcast yeah. episode versus a Make Fish Famous episode. Yeah, if you are learning, if you want to know, uh, we'll start with Make Fish Famous. Make Fish Famous. I'm trying to keep all the episodes under an hour. If we can get them down to a half hour, perfect. Uh, 45 minutes seems to be about the right, the average. That one right there, we're teaching you how to fish, whether it's, uh, you know, bobber fishing for panfish, the basics of bass fishing with a jig. I just recorded one today, basics of fly fishing. Uh, planer boards, the one that was released this week. I actually talked to Nick DeShano, who is the man at Offshore Offshore Tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the basics of and a little, we went a little advanced too on the different planer boards and how and why and what the different boards are and stuff. So it's a real, it's if you want to learn about fishing and how to fish, that's the one for you. Smackdown Outdoors podcast. Uh, that one is just a couple of people. So, well, I've had <laughs> I had a couple episodes where we had six or seven people, um, but typically it's me and a guest or two, and we're in typically you know two hours ish, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, talking about whatever that person's into, uh, whether they're a tournament walleye guy, a bass guy. I've had a trapper, I've had a falconer, I've had an author. Um, next week, uh, actually I have a guy that he, um, uh, blue nest beef, they're, the, they're, they're cattle ranchers, but their way they're doing it is way different and actually better for the environment. 
than your big, you know, big farming outfits, um, where then in turn, which doesn't make, why would you have them on, on the on outdoors podcast? Well, the way they're doing it is actually benefiting nature and the deer and the turkeys and the birds and the squirrels and everything else. So it's just a, you know, long form, good conversation about the outdoors and then a whole lot of rambling about whatever else happens during that conversation. I mean, we get off the rails a lot, but. That one I think just, is, is, is going to be relevant regardless, because I think, especially after the pandemic and everything, everyone's going to be looking. I can't tell you how many people of them out of my friends and my wife's friends from back uh, at home where she lives three hours from here in Grand Rapids have asked us, how do I buy a cow or a steer? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you yep. mean? Because I mean, I grew up, that was normal to us. Like, you know, we, we'd get our steers here locally every year. Um, you know, from our farmers around here and we, we grew up raising animals, hogs, sheep, all that kind of stuff. So it was like a weird question to me. And I think I've never said it in words before to tell someone how to do it. And it was interesting to hear their perspective because they're, you know, when they went to the market this time or this past spring, they were going there and they couldn't get burger. They couldn't get, you know, a steak or something like that. And then, you know, they were kind of describing to my wife how they felt like, you know, they panicked a little bit. And, you know, I try to shoot them down the right path of how they can do it, you know, look locally for some of their farms or, you know, I was trying to hook them up with some farmers back here where I live. And I think that episode is going to be great for anybody who, you know, obviously loves the outdoors and, you know, anyone who recreates when they hunt or they fish, I would assume for the most part are, you know, harvesting that meat and freezing it and all that kind of stuff. So I think that episode is going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm well, it's kind of funny because I met him at Pheasant Fest. Pheasant Fest was in Minneapolis this year. And this was, I think, January or February, something like that. And I talked to him there and I'm like, hey, I want to have you on the show. You know, I think this would be cool to talk about how you're farming. And and they've got they're they're um, they've got a thing where you can, you know, buy meat and they ship it to you and blah, blah, blah. You know, those box service type of things. But yeah, I was really intrigued in how they're actually I mean, they're taking instead of having a, you know, thousand cows in a barn no they've got they're taking like local farmers breaking it up i if i remember this correctly they're like breaking the land up into like four and they rotate the cattle on different grass so the cattle yeah so the cattle will mow down that one they move it into this one and they mow down that one they move it, and then the, it's just a constant you know rotation yeah but uh i was talking to him about being on the podcast and i wanted to get him on like soon because i'm like yeah you know i'm here to book guests and stuff well I didn't get a hold of him, didn't get a hold of him. And then the whole pandemic thing hit and I'm sitting around one day going through the business cards that I always get a stack of business cards at every show and I never get back to anybody. And I go, you know what? This one here would be a hell of a conversation to have right now because everybody's losing their mind over me. They want to start. They want to know where their food is coming from because you're starting to get some of these companies uh, like Smithfield Pork that now is owned by China. Oh, shit. Not, not getting political, yeah. but, you know, but now all of a sudden it's like China's in charge of the one of the biggest pork producers. Uh, where do I buy pigs from now? Right. You know, and you got all these farmers that were literally euthanizing every pig they had because the supply chain was so messed up. They couldn't get them to slaughterhouse. Right. So they were euthanizing their their, you know, their their hogs. So I called him up and I'm like, hey, you know you want to do a podcast? He goes, yeah, no problem. Cause he actually lives here locally. So I like, you know, that was nice. 
So he's going to be in on uh, Tuesday, and we're going to record a podcast. So it's yeah, it's it's going to be definitely interesting to see to talk to him because of how they're farming, how it helps out the nature, and then also. They do have their subscription service, but that is one thing I wanted to talk to them too about. Hey, if you want to go buy locally, you know, go buy half a cow from a, a farmer or a hog from a farmer, how can you do it? And then, you know, go through all the steps of buying it and then getting it slaughtered and packaged and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It'll definitely be relevant. And just for the people that even don't hunt, but like you said, people who do hunt really do care where, you know, the animals come from and, you know, them them shooting it themselves. They kind of know how the meat was handled. Um, but then right. there's just folks out there who just don't like the taste of venison or elk or whatever it is that your wild game, let's just say in general, but still care about where that meat comes from. And I, that that's right up the alley that I think a lot of people are, are into right now and definitely on the minds of, of what happened after this pandemic. So that'll, right. that'll be then, a good one. And you know, it's, yeah. And it's also one of these things too, where, there's a giant increase in people that are hunting, younger people that are hunting, because one of the things with this younger generation is that they want to become more food aware. Mm-hmm. They want to know where their come their food comes from. They want to know how healthy it is. So there are people that are actually starting to get into hunting because they might not be, they might not have believed in hunting before, or really cared about hunting, but now they want to know where their food comes from. What's the main way to go? Make sure you know where your food's coming from. Kill it yourself. Yep. So yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting, um, you know, thing we got going on with this. But it's it, I, I, it's positive. It is positive. So yeah, yeah, it's bringing awareness. And we, yeah, and we should actually thank, and and even we might not all vote the same, but I want to thank Joe Rogan for this he has a huge part to do with this because he constantly talks about elk yeah, and constantly talks about hunting. And then he's got a, you know, pretty, he's got a lot of, you know, non hunters, I guess, if you want to say it, that follow him and listen to his podcast. So maybe he's starting to, you know, bring some of these people to go, you know, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But you know, yeah, exactly. Any follower of Joe or listen to his podcast, like when the fires were going on out in LA and things like that, he had friends coming over all the time. He was dishing out meat, you know, saying here, cause their freezers had shut down or whatever it is that they lost power and they had lost what was in their freezer. He still had power. So he was giving out elk meat. He, He was, I think he cooked elk for like all the firefighters that were in his area around his house or something like that. And yeah, I mean, he's a huge promoter of it, and I think ever since he did that cover, I forget, Outdoor Life magazine, I think, or whatever it was of him home, holding up that, that moose leg, you know, from then oh, on I out. Didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah, it was years ago. I would say four or five years ago. Oh, okay. he, he talks about it. But, yeah, this this quote-unquote meat movement, and, you know, there's always two camps. you got the vegetarians, like that that documentary that just came out on Netflix that was all about, you know, eating vegetables only and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got the other camp, right. Who are like, you know, straight meat eaters and, and everything else. And there's science based on both of them, but you know, people are always looking to a a camp to belong to or a belief. And, you know, and I think that pertains to fishing too. I see, I see more people at the fish cleaning stations, I'd say in the last, five to six years than I have 
in the past and I see better care and handling of their fish fillets that they have, you know, rather than, you know, some guys are kind of getting into the science of what's the best way to preserve your fish when you're out on the water, you know, bleeding them out, bleeding them out right away, letting them bleed out in the live well, get them out and then get them on ice right away. That's, that's kind of like my motto. And it's, and it's something that a lot of people I know practice as well, bleed them out and, and then get them in on ice right away. And then that, that fillet is going to taste, I guess, to some people less fishy, quote unquote, or less gamey, but yeah, it's just like that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That it, it's really yep. cool to see that of what is working for some people and they're sharing that knowledge. And, you know, I, I, I think it's great. Yeah. Well, here's one when you're goose or duck hunting, you know, you know, let's say you're in, you're goose hunting a field, you're not on water, you're in a field, you got your layout lines and also you go shoot a bunch of geese. What does everybody do? Everybody goes and gets your goose, pick, you shoot some geese, go pick them up and then they lay them down and they tuck their head in their wing and then make it look like a sleeper decoy. What you should be doing is throwing it behind your blind, backside down, belly up. Oh my God. I'm, I'm listening. I'm hearing all these people, but the white belly is going to scare the scare, goose. Yeah, take, the ducks. take some of the stubble, throw it over your goose. There you go. Because what happens if you lay it belly down? You shoot that goose, all that blood's going to run down. Where are the breasts? Ran down. Against the ground. Right. Yeah, so turn it upside, turn it the other way, all the blood runs away from the breasts. Oh. So there's a little tip for you guys. There Just you cover go. them up with some stubble. Yeah. Have, you noticed, stubble have you noticed a difference since you started doing that? Um, Our geese get mixed up by the end of the day. I try to keep mine behind my blind, but then somebody grabs them, throws them in the pile for the picture and they all get mixed up. So right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know a couple guys that do it and they do swear by it. And these guys, I mean, they're guides. Uh-huh. So, you know, they, they do it themselves. So I'm sure there's something to it, you know, just like getting all the blood out of a walleye, leading them out. Right. So, and, and that was something that actually, you know, I never did with walleye, but I did it with salmon. So when, you know, when you catch the walleye, you're thinking like, oh, put them in the live well, they'll stay alive more. You know, it's not as, it's not as damaging to them. Like if it's hard to fit a salmon in your live well and expect it to stay alive, but you know, walleye you can throw in there, but man, when you get into summer, that water gets hot in there and you're thinking like the fish are going to die here soon. Anyways, (laughs) the water is, the water is hot as shit on your, uh, you know, depending on where your live well is at and if you're able to circulate it or not, but you know, at least I'm thinking of my boat when I get it in there. It, it's so warm because it's up on my bow. It's getting a lot of sun and things like that. And, you know, I let them bleed out in there and then throw them on ice. You know, I don't, uh, for as much as I fish and people always go, what? I don't really keep fish very often. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, unless I go on a trip with a bunch of buddies and we're having a fish fry, I don't really keep fish. My wife's not a big fish eater. So for me to, you know, go catch fish and then come home at dark, clean them. And I don't like freezing fish. You know, it's just, just me eating it at 10 o'clock at night. Right. I don't really, I don't really keep many fish. Right. So I get a, I get a couple of fish fries in each year and I'm perfectly fine with that. If, if I, I think it's one of those things, if I went out, caught fish, ate fish, caught fish, ate fish all the time, it wouldn't taste as good. Mm-hmm. So for me to only have a couple fish fries, it's you know, it's like going to that one restaurant a year that is a little ex- more expensive than you want to spend. So you only go to it like once a year, maybe twice a year. That's kind of like my fish fries. It tastes better because I'm not eating it constantly. That makes sense. 
I think, you yeah. know, I, I like to keep at least three, four bags. When I mean by bags, like Ziploc bags, not the big ones, just the regular sandwich yeah. side bags in there where I can fit, you know, three, four fillets in there. And I know if I open that bag, I'm going to eat them all too at the same time where I'm not just, you know, I don't have these huge bags full of walleye meat and I unthaw it. And then maybe, you know, there's some, because obviously you don't want to, re- you know, put it back in the freezer again after you unthaw it. But, you know, I don't want to waste the fish. So basically when I do it, I kind of calculate out what I know my daughters will eat. My wife likes to eat in a certain way as long as it's not fried. She kind of likes it more baked. And uh, yep. the girls like it that way too. And, you know, uh, to me, I, I, I've got it. I panic knowing that I don't have anything in the freezer. That's just the way I am. I'm like, oh man, if I wanted walleye right now or I don't have any in the freezer, I got to get my button gear and get back out there and get some stuff. And I like to have a variety too. Um, I feel more pressure in the summertime and in uh, like August to get my salmon in there. Salmon's something that my wife really enjoys. So I kind of use that as like a selling point to her. Like, hey, listen, we're getting low on salmon. You know what I mean? I got to get back out there. I got to go feed the family. We got to be back in a minute. Here. That's right. I mean, it's a tough job. Someone's got to do it. You know what I mean? So I don't. Right, right, right. I know Mama doesn't want her her quantities of uh, salmon getting too low, so it gets me back out there. Yep. Yeah. And if I really want, you know, a fish fry or whatever, we do have a VFW right down the road that does actually have a pretty killer uh, walleye fish fry. Oh, okay. So yeah, you know, it's like I think it's every Friday night or Tuesday night. One of the, I can't remember what night, but if I really have a hankering for good fried walleye, I'll just go over there. Yeah. So, Usually Lent yeah. gets gets me through the end of ice season and then the beginning of the walleye opener again because it's like oh, I'll just go there and get all my fish at the at the church fish fries or whatever it is. Right. So speaking of Lent, when did a McDonald's filet fish become like five bucks? You used to be able to get like two for two during Lent. When it's not Lent, that's when they crank it up. <laughs> no, even during Lent, it seems like it's still expensive. But I don't know. That's just my, my little. Who knows yeah. what you're eating, though? I actually saw a documentary on it. It is cod from the Pacific, Pacific or Atlantic. It is actually like I you see them catch it and they actually really? have a giant boat. Yeah, they got a giant boat where they catch them. They all it, they all go down into the basement of the boat, basically, and they're all processed right there, packed, uh, sealed, frozen right there. So it is actually fish. Now, what's on the outside, the whole breading thing, that I don't know. Wow. Hats off to McDonald's. I had no idea. Yeah. I take that back then. Yep. Yeah. No, this was about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago I saw it. So who knows what's changed since then, but I don't know. They still, they still, that's the best meal to eat after you get skunked. I will tell you that. I used on to the eat, way home. I used to eat that in college, and people thought I was crazy. Like when I showed up to college, they're like, "You get flay of fish." I'm like, "Oh yeah, man, I get two of them, mm-hmm. and the better, and the thicker the cheese on there, the better." Yep, with two slices of cheese, <laughs> one on top, one on the bottom, please. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple pops in me when I order it, but it still tastes good. Exactly. Um, so you were talking a little about earlier about how, you know, you kind of took that break from walleye angling. Uh, tournament fishing and you've gotten yep. into more of bass fishing. Can you kind of describe how that's been? And so were you more of a walleye guy before and now since fishing bass tournaments, how do you compare the two? Well, I've always been a multi-species guy. I do not care what it is. As long as I can catch it, I'll catch it. Catfish, bullheads, bullheads, bass, pike, 
panfish doesn't matter. Literally, I do not care. Um, I mean, it, I'll, the, earlier this year, me and my buddy went to go walleye fishing on the river. We ran into a bunch of uh, uh, smallmouth uh, buffalo, yeah. buffalo fish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and we hammered on them. Like, I was like, oh, perfect. I don't care what it is. We're not catching any walleye. Let's catch these things. And I ended up actually catching a Minnesota Master Angler, which you need 24 inches to qualify. And I caught a 28. So that was a Minnesota Master Angler by four inches. So is that, I don't is care that what the I photo catch. you sent me of you holding it when you got like your bibs yes. on and stuff like that? Okay. Yeah. 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 So it was still a little chilly when, uh, when that all happened. This was even, I mean, this was before, I can't even remember. Was it April, I think? Something like that. I'd have to look at the. It looks cold the in the photo. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. It's just we were, uh, you know, it was it wasn't warm yet, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was it was okay. But uh, but I've always been somebody. I don't care what we're catching. I really do not care. Uh, you know, if you want to go bullhead fishing, like I said, I'll go bullhead fishing. Whatever. Uh, but I was at a sport fishing a sport show one day, and a guy I knew. He was talking about, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a, a tournament partner to fish these walleye tournaments. You know, I'm, I'm my last partner. He's not going to fish it anymore. Da, 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 da. So I just turned to him, looked at him, and I raised my hand. Didn't say anything. I raised my hand and looked at him. And he turned to me and he goes, you? I go, yeah. Like, it's I not a huge walleye fisherman. Like, before when I would go walleye fishing, it was always in a buddy's boat and a buddy's gear i'm just hanging out drinking a couple beers and reeling in a fish or two so i told him i go yeah i can learn how to catch a fish i mean a technique is for walleye is just another technique i can learn and he's like well okay so you know i fished that for three years and that's all i did was learn 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 i hadn't even heard of lead core before i started tournament fishing now i absolutely love it same thing with rigging, same thing, you know, with, you know, slip bobber fishing and jig fishing and spinners and all this stuff. So I fished that for three years, learned a ton, had a lot of fun, but, you know, it's just, it's a lot of money and a lot of time dedicated to it. And it, you know, walleye fishing, you beat yourself up both mentally and physically because you're out on big waters a lot of times, big waves. So, I had fun. I learned a ton. Now I'm confident that if I want to go out, I can catch walleyes. So last year, I, I bought a new boat in the spring, my first official uh, adult boat, we'll call it. And I took the year off from tournament fishing. Uh, and I just kind of got back into bass fishing. I did fish a lot of walleye too, because I wanted to kind of prove to myself that I could go out and catch walleye. Like, can I actually do it? Or was it because I was fishing with somebody else and, you know, a big fiberglass boat and all this stuff. But so I mixed in some walleye, mixed in some bass, mixed in some other stuff and caught a bunch of walleyes, caught a bunch of bass. And then I just kind of got the itch to compete again. And I knew I couldn't compete in my boat, I got a 1650 Crestliner mm-hmm. Pro Tiller. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can't take that boat out to Lake of the Woods, to Leech Lake, to Lake Mille Lacs, big bodies of water that if there's a, a breath of wind, there's two foot waves. It just can't happen. So I started fishing a lot more bass last year too. And I'm like, you know, I could probably fish bass out of this thing during tournaments because typically you're more shallow, you know, you're not fishing real deep, not on giant bodies of water, stuff like that. And I found uh, a, a 
uh, bass tour here called the Greenhorn uh, Bass Tour, and it was real, really in, inexpensive. There's some pretty good sticks in it. There's different levels to it. I'm fishing what they call the Greenhorn, the beginner level, and uh, yeah, so that's I decided to sign up for it, and here we go. You know, the cool thing about that is it's not like you're not becoming a better walleye angler. You're still reading your electronics. You're reading bodies of water. You're just targeting a different species, and I feel like your skills are still going to be just as sharp, and, you know, you're 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 going to be out there practicing and getting those reps in to become better and dial it in even more. So. I know exactly what you're talking about. I have a 16 and a half foot Pro V 1994 Lund Tiller. And, you know, when, when I was up in, uh, on the big bodies of water up in Lake Michigan, you know, you're going out on Lake Michigan, East Bay or West Bay in Traverse city. And it drops off the 500 feet deep below you. And your, your, your GPS is done. <laughs> can't pick it up. Or I'm sorry, your fish finder can't free, find bottom anymore. You're kind of like, yeah, I'm in the big water out here in just a little boat. <laughs> But, right. you know, and like, sometimes I felt like, man, am I just being, you know, a little bit of a wuss? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm picking my days and I know my limits. Like, I know that I can't go out there in three foot waves when there's a north wind right. blowing down. I mean, the fish isn't worth it. My life isn't worth it. And, you know, I, I think that it helped sh- my time in the boat to be by myself and learn how to operate it and find fish in big bodies of water and whatever it was can help me be even better when I do go out there and I got that great day and I want to target a certain species, you know, it's going to, I feel like I'm part of that boat or it just kind of flows a little bit better. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the the more you're, I mean, fishing is all about time on the water. Yeah. No matter the boat, no matter what kind of boat you have, no matter how big boat you have, no matter how many 24, 25, $3,000, sonars you have on there and three thousand dollar trolling motors and four hundred dollar rod and reels and five thousand crankbaits or whatever that stuff doesn't matter it's all time on the water and you're going to become better at every aspect of fishing including boat control finding fish finding the spots all time on the water right yeah, one day when we hit the lottery and we do, we can afford our fiberglass boat. We're gonna be like, yeah, we got it all dialed in. We're ready to go. We can go anywhere. Oh yeah, yeah the day <laughs> I hit the lottery is the day I, I sign up for the Aim Weekend Walleye Series in my twenty-two foot freaking big fiberglass boat. That's right. And I'm pretty damn sure that I'm gonna be placing pretty well. Yeah, you got I, it. You know, yeah. So, and just time on the water, and and. You know, I, it's kind of become a debate here in Minnesota between all the guys that know me, whether I'm a walleye guy or a bass guy, because a lot of them met me when I was a walleye guy. And then all of a sudden I switched to me being a bass guy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, well, what they don't realize is that walleye fishing is walleye fishing is walleye fishing. So I, they're all just walleye fishermen. Well, I go learn how to bass fish. You know where I'm finding a lot of walleyes? Where bass, bass live. Yep. Yeah. So now we go to lakes where I can go catch walleyes where the bass live too, not just where the walleyes live. Right. So cross training, my friends, what did we all learn in high school and in gym class, cross train, play basketball, play football, run, do this, do that. Makes you better, an all around better athlete, catch walleyes, catch bass, catch muskies, catch catfish, all around better fishermen. 
So, so you're entering these these greenhorn tournaments and things like that. What's yep. like the typical size of the like the pool or, your, or the amount of boats in your guys's in your division? Twenty five boats. Okay, that's all we. That's all it is. Yeah, twenty five boats, and it can be a team of two in a boat. Uh, I'm actually fishing it solo, and. I don't know if anybody out there has heard of Josh Douglas and there's a lot, lot more people telling me that I should have a partner, but Josh Douglas is the biggest name in bass that I've talked to about this. Um, he fishes, uh, I think the FLW and he's a damn good fisherman. He told me I'm crazy. I should have a partner. So I'm trying to prove at this point, I'm trying to prove him wrong now. <laughs> well, I, I think sometimes when you're alone too, you can kind of do that off the wall tactics or techniques or try things out for the first time and find your own rhythm too. You know what I mean? Rather than, you know, it's always great, obviously to fish with somebody, but not only for the company, but you learn stuff too. You know, you can pick up techniques from, you know, what they have to offer too. But sometimes like, I, you know, getting back to like that alone time in your boat or that alone time on the water, you just have more time to clearly think and, you know, process well, everything I that's going on underneath you and how they're reacting to the baits, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's one of these things where I don't want to have to count on somebody else to show up. I don't want to have to count on somebody else to catch fish. Um, I don't want to have to think about the guy in the back of the boat and where the back of my boat is. If the back of my boat is nowhere near shore, I'm pointed straight dead at shore and the guy in the back of my boat can't cast. Yeah. I don't want to have to worry. I don't want to have to worry about that. Got you. And then every mistake is on me. Every, you know, good thing that happens is on me. I made a huge mistake our first tournament. Huge mistake. Ooh, my I first tournament. Um, what, okay, so one of my goals is to bring in five fish, to weigh five fish every single derby. If I do that, that's goal number one, and I'm happy. Of course, goal number two is to win one, or at least cash a check, whatever. So first, first derby, um, I went out. I caught five fish. We get back to weigh in and we all beach our boat at the launch. And when I beached my boat, I was right next to the launch. Like there were people backing in and taking out boats right next to my boat. So I go get the weigh in bag, come back to my boat, put the fish in the weigh in bag, hop out of my boat into the water, and, and my boat starts drifting into the launch. Mm. And there's people coming and going. So now, I, here's the thing. I'll never claim to be a smart man. Never <laughs> claim to be a smart man. I have moments that if you looked at me and said, you are an idiot, I would fully agree. And this is one of those. So instead of me taking my bag of fish, my five fish, and setting it in my boat, grabbing my boat and pulling it towards me and pushing it further up on shore, what do I do? I take that bag and I set it down. I'm standing in water, by the way. Well, as I grab my boat, my bag tips over. Oh. There's no seal on top of this bag. There's no zipper. It's open. Right. I, I look down as the bag is tipping over and all of a sudden I see this head poke out of the bag. <laughs> I go, oh, shit. Go to grab the fish in the bag. I get the bag. The fish slips. I you know, just barely brush his tail as he swims away underneath my boat. Not even like he went up to shore so I could go hand grab him and throw him back in the bag. So I weighed in four fish. Oh, so 
I took 17th place. That fish cost me 14th place out of 22 boats, only fished this one. Um, so I finished 17th. If I look back upon it, and we'll, we'll just take a little step back here. If Josh Douglas is correct and I would have had a partner, this probably would not have happened because the partner would have been in charge of the boat. <laughs> I would have just taken the fish up and I would have weighed five fish, but I digress. So if I take away from this, I fished 14th, right? In my mind, I fished 14th. Now I finished 17th officially and I take it 100%, but I fished 14th in my first Bass Derby out of 22 boats by myself. I beat teams. Um, I It was a super windy day, so the wind took away half a dozen spots that I know have bigger fish on it. I just literally couldn't fish it because of the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I walked away happy, even though I made a giant blunder. Uh, it didn't cost me a check. We'll see by the end of the year if it cost me a, a spot in the team of the year championship. I doubt it, but yeah, so... You know, going back to the fishing solo thing, yeah, that was one mistake that would have ha- wouldn't have happened more than likely if I fished with a team. But uh, you know, for me, it's I, I want to do everything myself. I want to prove to myself where I'm at, right? Whether I'm good, whether I'm bad, whether I'm in the middle of the road. This year is all about learning, all about learning where I stand in the bass world, in this bass tour as a fisherman. Um, and uh, kind of another thing, kind of, this is a far off dream that I'm not even dreaming about, but if it all of a sudden should happen where I'm fishing these solo and I, let's say I end up working my way up, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a certain point in these leagues, in these tours, in these levels where you don't have a partner. So if you're fishing with a partner, And then you go to the next level and you're fishing with a partner and you're fishing with a partner and you're fishing with a partner. And then all of a sudden you come to a level where you're by yourself. You're not going to be used to that. Right. But if by some far off chance, like I said, I'm not even trying aiming for this, but if by some far off chance, all of a sudden I get to that level where I don't have a partner, I don't care because I've never had a partner. Right. It's better so than I'm starting st- off with two and going to one rather than starting off with one and then, ha- or I'm sorry, starting off with two and having to go to one. Right. And how much of that these guys, you know, counted on their partner sometimes to find that bait that was working or that technique that was working or that guy scouting and this guy scouting and they you know, your partner found the fish that day or just different stuff. So yeah, I'm kind of one of these guys where I'm, I'm way too hard headed for my own good. <laughs> way too hard-headed for my own good but you know sometimes you got to just count on yourself hey man you're self-aware so that's important a lot of people aren't really self-aware of you know how they really are geared and how they're wired so at least you got your handle on that yeah yeah well I, for me it's about trying i'm trying i try to stay as humble as possible uh-huh. and the people that really know me go are you kidding me <laughs> <Are> you <laughs> humble no way I'm cocky. I'm super cocky. I'm confident. But at the end of the day, if I'm standing next to, uh, you know, Seth fighter and, you know, uh, Kevin Van Dam, I know I'm little man in the totem pole. I'm not going to stand there and go, yeah. So I caught this four pound bass last year. Da, 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 and they go, yeah, that's cute. All right. We catch those all the time. Like I know where I stand in this world. I'm nobody important right. when it comes to all this stuff. 
you know, I just like, you know, the podcast, I just like teaching people, man, whatever I know and whatever my guests know. So, so, so getting into the tournament side of bass angling and coming from the walleye world, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the baits are, I think very different, but you can catch bass and walleye sometimes on the same baits, but you're kind of, you're, you're switching up a lot of your presentations and things like that. Where did you start to kind of learn those presentations? And, you know, I, while you're on the podcast, I'd, I'd like you to talk about maybe two or three of your favorite uh, presentations that you have found success with and, uh, you know, how you fish them, you know, different times of, of the year. Yeah. Um, as far as like the, the comparison between bass fishing and walleye fishing, it's kind of funny because walleye fishing used to be throw the trolling motor or the kicker motor on and drag a bait. Right. Drag a bait, drag a bait, drag a bait. Now you're starting to see, you know, jig and wraps, puppet minnows, uh, lipless baits, uh, jigs and plastics come into the walleye world. Right. And that's because a lot of these new walleye guys, these younger walleye guys, John Hoyer, you know, he's pretty damn good as a bass fisherman. So they're bringing all these bass techniques into the walleye world. But, you know, bass fishing is still so much different than walleye fishing. You're standing on the front of your boat all day, cast, 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 cast. You might drift a little, you know, dragging a jig on the bottom or whatever. But, yeah, it's it's really two different worlds besides a little, you know, little bit of uh, casting uh, rollover. You know, you can't use live bait during tournaments for bass fishing, so you can't drag around a, a creek chub in Mille Lacs and catch six-pound smallmouth during a tournament. You, you know, you can't do that. Otherwise, everybody would be a pro. Right. Um, but yeah, as I mean, as far as my favorite, my favorite ways to catch bass and uh, smallmouth. I'm not a smallmouth fisherman. They frustrate the heck out of me. But the only way I can catch them on a regular basis is Malax, uh, dragging you know live minnows around reefs and walleye fishing. That's how I catch smallmouth. So I'm a largemouth guy, and I know this. So if we ever get to a smallmouth fishery, I'm screwed. Right. (laughs) Um, uh, As far as my favorite ways to catch them, and this really changes every year. Uh, One of them is is a staple, absolute staple. Every year, no matter the conditions, I throw this thing every single day. Is a wacky rig. Okay. If if I don't have a wacky rig tied on my boat, that means I'm fishing twenty foot of water. So I've always wacky weedless, or does does it matter? I never throw a wacky weedless. Okay. The the wacky in my here's in my opinion wacky rig hooks that uh, have a weed guard are absolute junk. I've tried them and I've lost more fish than I've caught. Describe to everybody what a wacky rig is because uh, yep. and that's no shame like if you don't know what it is it's a <laughs> it's a goofy name it's, and just to say oh go get a wacky rig obviously you can google it but at the same time kind of give someone a description of what it looks like. Yeah. Basically you take a, a stick bait. Okay. It's a, it's a plastic worm anywhere from four to six inches long. It's just, it looks like a pencil and come, they come in all sorts of your colors. Doesn't matter. Every color under the sun. And what you're doing is, is you're taking a hook. Uh, there's actual wacky rig hooks or just a, you can use a, a octopus hook. I've used octopus number one or number two, number one or number two walleye octopus hooks when yeah. I run out of whatever. And you take that hook and all you do is you T-bone it right through the middle of that bait. 
Now, if you ever heard of a Senko, like a Yamamoto Senko, that's exactly what we're talking about. Most people say Senkos because Yamamoto kind of made them popular, but they're stick baits, whether it's uh, the Senko or like a Northland dipstick, um, I can't with uh, Ocho, uh, you know, a Straight King Ocho, whatever. Um, but it's just stupid simple. You just take that hook right through the middle of it, and then here's how you fish it. You just throw it under a dock <laughs> and let it sit. <laughs> it's the simplest way to catch a fish. You, it, and it works the best if it's you know sunny out, the fish are shallow, but you just take it and you just throw it under that dock and let it sit. Um, one of the keys to this is actually using a high-vis line to a fluorocarbon leader. So like I've got a bunch of white, uh, white fire line, 10 pound. And then I go to a 10 pound, sometimes eight, uh, eight pound fluorocarbon leader, four foot, maybe leader, something like that. doesn't have to be super long, but you throw it in, you can fish it in open water. I've actually fished it in about 18 foot of water and just let it fall and smashed fish on it. Okay. It takes a long time for it to get down there. Right. So when you're every cast, when you're popping it, you're, I'm sorry, when you're throwing it underneath the dock and let's say you, yep. you get that perfect cast, you said yep. you're just letting it sit on bottom. Are you just kind of like letting it sit there and like popping it off the bottom, slowly working it back to the boat? Or are you just literally letting it sit down there for a little while to see what kind of fish react to it? Well, the first time that you, that I cast, you throw it and you don't touch it. Okay. Don't touch it. And what you're doing is you're actually watching your line. And this is why the high viz High visibility line, the white, the bright green, yep. the yellow comes in, comes in handy because you're watching that line. So if you ever you just cast a bait out and you can tell your your bait's going down, that line is slowly sinking in, you know, yep. sinking as the bait goes down. If there's any sort of movement in that line other than just that slow sink, set the hook. Start reeling, set the hook. There's a fish. Gotcha. That's the and ninety percent of the time the fish are gonna bite on that initial fall. Okay. Now, sometimes you throw it under there, you let it sit, your line's done moving, let it sit for a few more seconds if the fish are really, really, really picky. What you can do and what I sometimes do is look bait sits on the bottom, you know, it makes its way down to the bottom. And these things fall a lot slower than you'd think. So get into some clear water, about four foot, throw it out there and actually count like one, two, three, until that thing hits the bottom. You'll be surprised. Uh Yeah. Like a Senko, an actual Yamamoto will fall faster. It's got more, it's actually got, I think silica or sand or something in the bait. So it's a little heavier than like a Northland dipstick. Um, Those way, 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 way slower. Um, but yeah, so what you can do then is if it's on the bottom, wait a couple seconds, see if anything bites it and then kind of, yeah, just give it a couple twitches, a couple twitches. And if nothing happens, reel it in. This is a throw it under there, let it fall. If nothing happens, reel it in, throw it under there, let it fall. Uh, what I like to do is work my way into the dock. If I don't already have a pattern of where the fish are in the coordinates to the dock. So as I'm coming up or even under trees or whatever too. I mean, this works under trees. It's a really easy bait to skip, which is why it's so popular under docks, under cover, stuff like that. Very simple bait to skip. So I like working my way into the dock. So like, as I'm coming up to a dock, I'll throw it in front of the dock, about two, three feet in front of the dock. See what happens. Maybe there, maybe the fish are in front of the dock. If that doesn't help happen, then I'll throw it just under the front of the dock. Okay. I'll work my way. all kind of, until I 
you know, start figuring out like, okay, so they're hitting in front of the dock or they're hitting on the left side of the docks or they're hitting on the right side. Or sometimes you got to throw that thing all the way as far as you can into a foot of water under the dock. Right. You know, so once you start catching them all the way under or whatever, then you have a pattern. So then when you come up to that dock, you can hammer that spot on that dock first, expecting a bass to be on that front right tire. And then if it doesn't happen there, then start picking the rest of the dock apart. They might have moved around a little bit. And here's where you can start to develop your pattern. When I, when I fish the docks and things like that, the other thing that I'm looking for, and you, you, you just hit it on the head was where are the fish hanging out? Why? Okay. So sometimes you, you can throw into the shadows of the dock or the boat or whatever it is, and they're not hitting it, but then you throw it onto the sun side or the, you know, like you said, the more visible side and that's where they're hitting it. And there's like, you know, just like we have cravings or why we want to eat certain times of the day it kind of goes with those fish too and that's that pattern that you're starting to to dial in and and things like that like why are they hitting it on the sun side but not on the dark side well maybe it's your color maybe it's your fall maybe they can see it better you know things like that so i think that's uh that's super important and i didn't know that you need you know i never paid attention i guess to my line again I'm more of a walleye angler. I'm looking and trying to feel that bite on the end of the rod rather than just look at my, my, my line all the time. And yeah, that's a, that's a great point to, to use that high vis line. Yep. Yeah. I mean, any, you know, the, the wacky rig, which is a slight variation on the, on the Texas rig, on the weightless Texas rig, Yeah. all high vis line stuff. Cause you're not going to feel that bite necessarily. You're mm-hmm. going to see it a lot of times cause you don't want to, especially in the wacky rig, you don't want to throw it out there, close your bail and then reel up the slack. Cause you want that bait to naturally fall. Mm-hmm. So you're just, it's all line watching stuff. Um, so in, I mean, anybody who's getting into fishing, it's probably the easiest way to rig a bait. You know what I mean? You take the, you take the four or six inch, uh, worm or wet, you know, soft plastic <clears throat> You find out where the middle is and you just shove a hook and T-bone it right in the middle, like you said, and then start yep. casting. It's a great way to, to get into it. Yep. And then there's things, uh, it, it, it's not exactly the cheapest way to fish because you do go through a lot of baits, but there's things like wacky rig, uh, rings, yep. rings, and then, uh, arsenal fishing. They make a silicone tube, which is my favorite, um, that you put, you put the tube in the middle of the bait and then you run your hook through that. And that is that saves a ton of money because that silicone tube, you're not tearing up the bait. You're the, the, the tube saves saves the bait. So you can catch, you know, half a dozen to ten more fish on each bait than you can by just throwing it. Yeah. You know, just T bone it. Now during tournaments, I try to get the, the most lifelike, I guess, lifelike on a wacky rig. Now, I don't know what I'm imitating, but it works. Uh I just use, I just go right through the through the bait. I don't use a tube. I don't use a um, an O ring. Nothing like that. Um, just because I want as much action. Because what, what's going on is that things falling, and the tips of, of the ends of that that stick bait are just kind of just fluttering as it goes down. Mm-hmm. So you put something in the middle, and that restricts it in the middle a little bit. That gives it a little less action on the outside. So and you got to think how if bass- tournament money's on the line. I don't care how much I'm spending. Just let me win a plaque. You know, the other thing too, with that line is, especially if you're fishing other species of fish, I mean, now you're going after a bass, right? So they'll sit there and inhale something and not move. 
You know what I mean? Like that's why it's super important to watch that line. It's not like a yeah. walleye where they grab the bait and start to swim off with it or something like that. And you can kind of start to feel when it's in their mouth, you know, a large mouth will, will, will come out from underneath the dock, inhale it, and then just sit there. You know what I mean? You don't even know what's in their I've mouth. Ca- I've caught a lot of walleyes, bobber fishing and jig fishing that come up and uh, just bite it and hang on. And just sit there. Just sit there? <laughs> yeah. Like, you all of a sudden, you see just this little, like on a bobber, you just see this little bounce, just a little bounce. And I was like, what is that? Let me check. And you just reel up, and all of a sudden, that bobber starts going underwater. You're like, oh, I got a fish. Reel it up. He just came up and just bit it and just held on and sat there. I was trying to teach so, my but, daughters. But bass, the, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to teach my daughters the fish last year off the dock, and, you know, there's always those bass that hang underneath the dock when you're sitting there. And, you know, little kids, four-year-olds like to – dangle their lures down there and see what the fish does and you know my one daughter was like i can't tell if he has it or not because it would just come out inhale it and then just sit there i go it's in his mouth set the hook and she couldn't <laughs> feel anything you know what i mean like she's trying to she thinks that her line's just going to get bent over and like start going for a wild ride but i'm like just wash his mouth he's gonna he's gonna inhale it and you just got to really you know watch to see if it's mouth and then set that hook yep so yep. Um, yeah that's yeah that that high vis line on any kind of setup like that it's night and day difference do you throw okay do you care much now that you're getting into the bass world do you research scents are you a big scent guy no okay i'm i'm not okay no i i know guys that absolutely believe in it um I don't use it and other than what comes on the bait already. Right. And here's the, here's the thing when it comes to certain, you know, anything fishing, if it works for you, use it. If you think you can, if you don't think you can catch a fish without using scent, use scent. Right. If you don't think that you've ever, you know, if you, if you think scent scares away the fish, don't use scent. Right. It's all confidence. You know, if, if you've, my buddy who I try to get him to use the same, you know, wacky rig color as I do, I was throwing a black, he was throwing a pink, I was out fishing him, but he wouldn't stop using the pink and switch to black. That's fine. He can use the pink. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it gives him confidence, let him have at it, go ahead, use it. And there's no, the thing is, is I don't know if there's a, if there's a real way to tell, especially bass fishing, if it works or not. Yeah. I haven't seen any like scientific proof that like, you know, I went out that day and caught a bunch of fish and my buddy didn't, I was using scent and he wasn't, well, was it the exact same bait? Were you guys making the exact same angled cast, the same movement? You know, it's, it's too many variables in the outdoors. And then, so now, you know, getting into June here and at least in the state of Michigan, it's a great time for us to kind of, as it gets later in the June, kind of do that top water bait. Have you experienced, have you played around in that with like poppers or anything like that? Uh, I started throwing some frogs around and catching some fish uh, two weeks ago. And yeah, the, the top, we have had such a strange weather pattern here. If you haven't been out, and I heard somebody say this today. If you haven't been out every single day fishing in Minnesota, you have no idea what's going on. The <laughs> next time you go, the next time you go out fishing, if you're just a weekend guy, yeah. you're starting from scratch. We have had the weirdest weather. It could be cool, it could be rainy. We've the one constant is we've had nothing but 20 mile an hour winds for like two, three weeks now. It's been stupid. 
Dude, I, so uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that you guys are getting that too, because up until a week ago, it was been windy as shit all this summer and spring. And I'm like, I do not remember it being this windy. Well, I just moved downstate, but like, I just like, man, I don't remember it being this windy all the time. And that's funny that you say that, that you guys are getting it over there too, because now it's like this past week is the first, you know, 80 degrees kind of slowly creeping up 83, 84, 85, but you don't got that hard wind every day. It's just kind of starting to feel more like a, a normal summer. Yeah. It's been just, I mean, it's been so frustrating. I went out uh, last Saturday and there was two foot waves on a small lake. Jeez. Yeah. It was nuts. I had to, I mean, I, here I am wearing my rain suit as I'm going from spot to spot because I don't want to get soaked. <laughs> so it's been absolutely insane. It's been warm. It's been cold. It's been windy. Uh, we haven't had much rain lately, but as I'm talking to you, we actually have some thunderstorms rolling in. Okay. Uh, and as far as I can tell, I think we're going to start getting to where we should be, where we start getting fish kind of coming up more, you know, the bigger ones are coming up more shallow, hanging out under them docks, right. under them trees and, and stuff. Um, but they've been all over. I mean, they've been in a foot of water and they've, from what I've heard, I'm like, a, I'm not a huge deep water guy, but they've been all the way out to 22, 23 feet. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. I can speak to that. I would say, you know, especially here in Michigan, they'll, you can, it's not very, you know, uncommon to catch smallmouth out in 22 feet hanging out there with those walleye. That's where you're starting to catch them out there. And, you know, what you're throwing out there for walleye, whether it be like a jig and wrap or something like that, you're going to get a few smallmouth on, on the end of your line. And I always kind of wondered that kind of, kind of see like, wow, bass are hanging out this deep in the middle of summer out here with these walleye. It's kind of cool. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, Mille Lacs, they're always hanging out deep. Yeah. Yeah. Summer, summertime, they're out in 30 foot hiding behind, you know, Volkswagen sized boulders and stuff. So, right. So but yeah, they've been just all over the map. It's been super frustrating this year. So we got your your soft plastic rig. Give us yep. one hard body bait uh, that you like to throw and uh, why you throw it. Uh, well, here here's what I've had tons of success on. Absolutely tons of success on this year, and that is a spinnerbait. Okay, and a spinnerbait, a good old. Willow blade with a small Colorado blade. Um, I use the Northland Reed Runners, um, white, and it almost works better without a trailer than it has with a trailer this year. And all I've been doing is drifting over weed uh, reeds and just letting the wind push me and casting with the wind, pulling it back in. Now you're casting. And it's been you're casting into shallow water, right? And then it's. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, these reed patches there, they pretty much have all maxed out at about four foot depth. Okay. So as I'm drifting through them, you know, these could be offshore. Some of these have been offshore reeds. Yeah. Um, you know, they're a hundred, hundred yards away, but they, they come up shallow and just drifting right over the top of it and casting with the wind, dragging it back in. And it's, it's been just I have never caught fish like this on a spinnerbait than this year. And I think that's part of the reason why they're so weird is that they're hanging out, especially in these, you know, kind of staging reed pockets. It's not up shallow. It's not deep. They don't know what to do. So they're just kind of like, we're just going to hang out here for now. Right. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> you know, there's cover here. There's bait here. We're going to hang here. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as uh, that's been, I mean, I have absolutely been hammering fish on that. Uh, of course, you know, throwing jigs around same, same spots. I'll throw jigs in the, in the reeds and under docks and stuff. Uh, but some of the, some of the few fish I've caught this year, uh, out deep have actually been a uh, lipless crankbait. Okay. And that, what I was doing is just throwing it right down the brake line, right down the brake line with the brake. So deeps on the right, shallows on the left or vice versa, depending on which way you're going and just throwing it, you know, just straight down the brake line and just reeling it in. And, uh, the, the red craw, um, I use, uh, um, either the strike King two tap, in in their red pattern or the Bagley Bates rattling B in their uh, red red uh, craw pattern. Um, that's about as deep as I was getting, and that was about eight to ten feet somewhere in there, somewhere in between six, eight, ten feet. Just throwing it down the break and and just bringing it in just like a normal crankbait. Maybe every once in a while giving a little extra pop to you know change the vibration a little bit and the noise pattern a little bit. Um, but I'm not a huge deep, deep water guy. If I can't see the bottom of the lake, I get seasick and that's just, <laughs> I mean, I don't actually get seasick, but right. that's what I've been telling people. They're like, so, you know, you get out on them, them weed lines. I go, no, like if I can't see the bottom, I get seasick. I just love fishing shallow. Right. You know, and, and here's the thing. There are a ton of guys that have made a ton of money and won tournaments by only knowing how to fish under 10 foot of water. Right. You just got to be really, really, really good at that. Now, I'm trying to learn how to fish deeper just to because you're going to have to these days with zebra mussels clearing up these waters. The weed lines themselves are growing deeper. Yep. I mean, there's 22 foot of weed line on on Lake Minnetonka. That's what was actually one of my questions I was going to ask you is like with the with the water, you know, all over the United States with the, the zebra mussels getting clearer and clearer. I feel like bass fishing, you know, I can remember as a kid, like you said, with the, the lily pads and the reeds and everything like that being so shallow and you just like, you know, I know I throw my weedless black worm on there and go up there and I'm, I'm going to be able to pull a bass out of there. But, you know, yep. as I grow older, um, you know, like you said, I'm seeing that kind of get out more in that six, eight feet of water you know, you can see them coming up, but there's a lot of water between the bottom and the top. And it's, you know, there's the strike zones a little bit different. And so, you know, I kind of force myself to learn how to do a drop shot kind of rig where I'm trying to keep that bait in front of them longer. And I'm trying to get that fish to react to it and come out of that, that deeper water to, to chase my lure rather than just blindly cast up in like what looks like a quote unquote bassy area in the lily pads and the shallows. And, you know, that's where I had to learn um, bass fishing and, and, and kind of learn how to rig a drop shot and how to work it back to the boat and all that kind of stuff. So that's, I was going to ask you what you typically do in clear water. For me, it's a drop shot, but I'd like to hear your opinion too. I'm, I'm not a huge drop shot guy just cause I don't fish it a ton. Okay. Um, you know, and, and fishing shallow, typically that water's clear. Okay. So fluorocarbon, everything yep unless you're like if i'm jig fishing I, I started messing around with fluorocarbon with the jig um but jig for me is wherever i'm i pitch it wherever i'm pitch it flip it to wherever it's gonna go it hits the bottom 
I pump it a couple times, I bring it back in. I'm fast. I'm going for reaction bites. So line doesn't really matter, but fluorocarbon, everything on my crankbaits, on my chatterbaits, on my spinnerbaits, on my wacky rigs, on my Texas rigs, uh, my Carolina rigs, you know, it's the biggest problem with this is with these waters clearing up is that those fish that aren't up shallow, they're moving deeper and, you know, they're going to that 15 to 22, 23 feet, wherever that weed line is, is now growing because there's nothing blocking the sun. So the sun's getting down deeper, which promotes weed growth. And now you got weeds all over the place and scatters the fish, you know, before where you had a weed line, three to six foot or seven foot or whatever shallower you could fish it easier because all the fish are either going to be shallower than the weed line under the docks up by shore or they're going to be in the weed line which is only so deep and you can fish that now you're fishing a weed line that goes from darn near shore to 20 foot out it can be it can be very 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 difficult um the one thing I do know is that when you find them in the weeds, fish that spot, beat that spot up as much as you can. Right. But you can you can really fish it the same way. You can throw jigs over there, you know, in in the deeper weeds. You can, you know, throw a wacky rig on top and just drag it along the top. Same thing with the Texas. Of course, there's the drop shot. Throwing um, a spinnerbait throw a heavier spinnerbait. Um, I've done that a couple times where, you know, get weeds about 10 foot down, throw like a half ounce spinnerbait, let it sit, you know, sink a little bit before you start reeling and just slow roll it right over the top. Um, but yeah, you can, it's just changing the way that you present that bait with these weeds and how you bring it in. Um, like I said, I'm not a huge deep water guy, but the, the biggest problem is, and, and just like walleyes is that, they're going to move deeper because there's more light. There's more weed, you know, weeds out deeper. Um, so yeah, it sucks because before it was, we know where to get them. We can get them, but now things are changing. So it's making it much, much more difficult and you have to change. And that's one of the things where, you know, they, you get these guys that have been fishing the same spot for 25, 30, 40 years. And I don't know, there's no fish in this lake. It's gone. No, you don't like fishing in the weeds. And then now there's more weeds. So you got to go fish in the weeds. Right. And when you go out deep, it's, you're covering, it's more water, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's right. more of, obviously there's the column that's from the, the, the bottom of the floor up to the surface, but you know, you're throwing it out there and you're like, man, I feel like I'm just casting it in the middle of the lake, but yeah. Cause you can't see it. You can't see it. <laughs> you're like, I know they're down there. So that's why like, for some reason that drop shot is always my go-to, especially in clear when, you know, there's a lot of limestone lakes and things like that, especially in Northern Michigan where I lived. And I could see the smallmouth way out there. You know, I'm talking 20, 30 feet out from my boat. Um, and so, but you know, you troll up to them. There's no weeds out there because the water is so clear. It's like, you know, it's just rocks. So if you got too close to them, they would retreat back down to the rock. So what I did was I said, well, I'm just going to throw a, a drop shot past them and start scooting that baby back towards me to see how they would react. And that's what I would do. Cause I know that bait could hang there, you know, you know, two feet off the bottom or 18 inches off the bottom, wherever I had it rigged and let it sit there and kind of see how they react to the bait where they come swimming out of the rocks to look you know, what is that out there? And then they would swim around it a couple of times and then hit it. For me, that was really exciting because it was like, 
I don't know. It's just like you can see the whole thing unfold rather than like in the weeds where you're kind of throwing out there um, in the shallows. And if it's murky water, you can't really see what's going on in the middle of summer. And, but you know, there's bass in there and you're kind of just anticipating that bite. So it kind of forced me to kind of change my presentations and how I grew up bass fishing to kind of do this and adopt this drop shop rig. And yeah, man, it's, that's, what's fun about fishing is it's changing and it humbles you. And it's, you know, you're, you're changing to the environment. You're changing to the fish, the weather or what's going on that day. Um, you know, what kind of season you're having, like you guys are having over in Minnesota and, that's cool because I think you're going to learn a lot and see yourself evolve from the beginning of the season to like, when's your guys' season end? Like in August or September or something, or how long is it? Uh, it's August, August, August. All right. We have two, two in June, two in July, one in August. So, yeah. So it's going to change a lot throughout the summer. Yep. And I I just want to go right, uh, take a step back here and electronics these days, if you don't have side scan, get it, because that's going to show you where these weed lines are. You, know, you can just slow roll these shores, these these shallows, and then move your way out to 25 feet, so throw this guy side scan on, and it'll show you exactly where these weed lines are. I agree with you a thousand percent with any kind of fishing. I think it's hard yeah. to get guys to, you know, whoever it is, to sit there and want to read it. You know, because they're like, I don't right. know what the fish looks like on the side scan. I don't know what I'm looking at. Is that a fish? What is a shadow that people always talk about? What's the shadow that, you know, the fish are hiding behind? And I feel like if you just sit there and you're like, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to scout an area that I know has fish and I'm not going to wet a line. I'm just going to sit there and read my side scan and dial it in. You're you, That's going to help you way more than you realize. And I think it's worth it to sit there. Even if you record it, screenshot it, whatever you got to do, there's a lot of great YouTube videos. There's a lot of great things out there that people can see. And I know it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not fun to look at a little speck on a screen, you know, but I feel like at the same time, that's how you're going to become a better angler is if you just sit there and look at that side scan and really learn how to dive into it. And here's the, here's the number one mistake people make with side scan is they're looking for fish. Right. Side, side scan is not a fish finder. No, no. Now it can be, it can be if all of a sudden you look down and go, Holy Christ, there's a lot of shadows with white dots the, to the left or the right. Right. Them, right. Right. But side scan is, is structure scan. Yes. And if you talk to any pro top pros that know how to catch fish, they don't care if they can see a fish. They're looking for where fish will be. Right. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for your bass fishing. You're looking for brush piles. You're looking for boulders. You're looking for weed lines. Walleye fishing, you know, you're looking for weed lines. You're looking for different, you know, I don't know, whatever structure, you know, uh, rock piles and stuff like that. Um, you're not looking for fish. You're looking for structure. So you're the pros, they get there, they're, you know, you get to a point in your fishing ability where you know that if I pull up, if I pull up to a sunken tree, I know how to fish a sunken tree. So the next time I'm scanning and I see a sunken tree on my side scan, I already know that I can catch fish if they're there. Right. So I can go fish that now. I found a sunken tree. I'm going to go flip whatever I, you know, whatever you fish in a sunken tree to catch fish. Boom. I found a spot that should have fish. I'm not looking for fish. 
if I roll by that that sunken tree and I'm looking for fish in the on my screen in the tree and I don't see any, I have to roll by it. Right. I just probably passed up 30 fish. So you're just trying to find fishy spots with side scan. So once you find that structure that you know how to fish, fish it. <laughs> and getting back to the water changing and becoming clear, you don't have to get close to that structure now and go right. over the top to know that there's fish there or to find that structure. So now you're staying away 30, 40 feet from it. You know it's out the side of your boat. Now you can mm-hmm. cast to it or you don't. Now you say, okay, I found that sunken uh, weed bed or I found that sunken tree. I'm going to drop a waypoint there and now I'm going to cruise around the lake to find my next 10 spots so I know I have a path and I know how far to stay away from it and I know that I don't have to go over the top to spook the fish in order to get it. Yeah. That's the yeah. other thing too is the water's changing. It's getting clear. Use those, use that side scan to your advantage. You don't have to go over the top of it and mark, you know, banana shaped fish underneath your down scan to know that there's fish right. there. Right. And when you're, when you're running, like I run Humminbird, it's got mega. So if anybody out there running mega, one of the things with mega is the further out you go to each side of your boat, the worse mega is mega throw it. The furthest you really want to throw that thing out there on each side of the boat is like 70 ish feet, somewhere around there. Anything further than that, knock it down to 455 kilohertz. Yep. and scan. I've done that out to 200 feet and I have found stuff 175 feet away. So then you throw it on your GP, you know, you make, you mark that on your GPS, on your, on your unit. And then you get closer, throw on your mega roll by it, you know, 60, 70 feet away, 50 feet away. And then you get that detail. So I've, I've heard people going, ah, mega's not really good. And I go, well, how far out do you have your, you know, your distance? And they go, well, like 150 feet. I go, okay. Let's go back to this is just structure scan. This isn't trying to find the fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just looking for places where fish are supposed to be. And once I learned that, because I didn't know that at first either, I figured, ah, mega, throw that thing out 200 feet each side of the boat, and I'll be seeing fish eyeballs, you know, 190 feet away. Nope. So once I learned that little trick to knock it down, if you've got it way out, bring it down to 455, which is really easy. It's in your menu. Uh, I, it, it's actually a clearer picture when you have it that far out. So, so being yeah. a bass angler now, do you see yourself getting into the live scopes and the pan optics and everything? I can't afford that. Yeah, me either. That's why I was just wondering how, <laughs> how extreme you want to go. Uh, no, I, I, if I tournament fish serious, like if I, let's say go to the bass opens, yeah. And that kind of, the, you know, then you pretty much kind of sort of have to. Right. Everybody's got it on their boat. Um, I'm just trying to have fun and I'm way too old school. Like side scan for me was like a huge jump. Right. You know, for me, it was kind of like, yeah, okay. If I was a, if I was just a bass guy, I don't even know if I'd have side scan. Cause like once, what do you need side scan if you're fishing in four feet? Right. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, if if I ever make the jump to like the next level of of bass fishing tournaments, then maybe if if I'm fishing for high dollar stuff, uh, I mean if Garmin wants or whoever wants to throw one on my boat, I'll definitely use it. Hey, you shout know, out dollars. Garmin! Hey, we got a couple yeah, guys. We'll try it out. We'll let you know what we think. Yeah. Especially when Humminbird comes out with theirs sooner or later, I'll take it. Yeah. So guys, whatever. That's, that's a free that's a free shout out right here. Yeah. Right. Um, um, I mean, I've used it. I've used it walleye fishing, and it's it's cool, but. And ice fishing, but I don't know. 
It's tough when this, all that stuff starts to cost more than my boat. Then I'm like, right. oh, man. What dude, you- my electronics are a third of my boat payment. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I paid five grand for my boat and my trolling motor and everything and my electronics on it starts to get creep up there. I was like, wait a minute. That's costing me yep. more than what I paid for the boat. Oh, yeah. Well, I got the iPilot Link Ultrex with the 12-inch Helix GPS Gen 3. I don't I don't know. It just... It's it's a it's obnoxious how it's, much this stuff costs these days. It's fun to get in other people's boat though and look at it. Oh yeah, yeah. You play with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny on my everybody. The first thing everybody comments on my boat when they see it is they go, "Holy sh! It did fit." I got a twelve inch helix in my console and my tiller, and it squeezes in <laughs> just enough of an opening in this console on the 1650 Pro Tiller in case anybody's bored and wants to look up what to see what it looks like. Um, it just fit. Like I, when I first saw the boat in person at a boat show, the same boat I ended up buying, same style, I actually measured the opening and then went over to some sort of store in the in that boat show that was selling them. Took a tape measure, measured the opening, <laughs> measured the unit to make sure that I could fit a 12 inch in there in uh, you know, in, in that cabinet and it fits perfectly. Um, and it, I did want to bit the biggest screen I could get in there because then you can see more stuff and I can yeah. run. I've only got the one in the one uh, unit in the back. So it's not like I can have, you know, two, three units and have this one on GPS and that one on side scan and stuff. Uh, but it's working out. Yeah. Well, cool, man. It's, it's fun. fun to, it's all fun and games until, you know, the bill shows up every month. I like that gritty fishing, that gritty style of, you know, making things work basically of what you can afford. And I think that's important. You know, if, <laughs> if you've got a bunch of money and you throw all that on your boat, but you don't know how to use it or read it, it's, uh, it's kind of a waste and you're not doing yourself. Oh yeah. Favors. Yeah. I mean, this thing is, you know, a Helix 12 is 2,500 bucks, right? Yeah. Has it caught me more fish? Meh, maybe. But I have learned why I have caught fish uh, because you can, you can you can make your own maps, right? Auto chart live. Yep. And there's right. been certain spots where if I get into a pile of fish and I can't quite figure out why are the fish right there, what I'll do is I'll go over and I'll map that area and then I'll side scan that area and I'll look at the map and go, oh, there's an inside turn right there that's not on the Navionics chip or the yeah, Lake, Lake Master, Master chip. chip. Yep. Yeah, and then side scanning going, oh, there's a weed line that cuts in there, goes out there, or there's some a, a change, some sort of change in the bottom right there. So I can't necessarily say it's caught me more fish, but it has taught me why I have caught fish in that spot, in that spot, in that spot. Um, and then when I do see things like inside turns that look the same, in a different lake or a different area of that lake, I can go and go, okay, I want to hit that right there. And then you can go and you can try that spot because it's so similar to where you're actually catching the fish. Right. So, yeah, like I said, I don't know if it's actually, you know, caught me more fish, but now I'm learning why I've caught fish. That auto chart live is my buddy Nick has that. And when he was starting to do that, that's opened up our eyes to so many things that are not on your Navionics, like you said, and your, your late master chip. And like you said, things change. Water levels might go up one year. They might go down. Yep. Weeds are going to grow and, you know, based off of how that water is rising or falling. 
And if you can go out there to your spot and find something that someone doesn't know about, that's how you find your honey holes. That's how you find your quote unquote spot is based off of something like an auto chart live where it's like, that's in your fish finder. There's a highly probable chance that it's not in someone else's fish finder. And that's your part of the lake that you're going to pull fish from. Right. Yep. And every time I'm out on a, on a, even on a body of water that I've got a ton of mapping on, I will just drive like uh, I got a local lake, Medicine Lake, five minutes from my house. Basically, all the shoreline and all the shallows are mapped out. Right? <laughs> Bass fishing. But what I'll do is each time I go there, I'll go over, you know, two, three passes over the deep wherever I haven't already gone to find humps, to find rocks or whatever. Yeah. And it's amazing how many little things are not on the Navionics or the Lake Master chips. And then it's also amazing, and I don't know who did this previous mapping, but how many things that are on these chips that are not in the lake do not exist. (laughs) Well, someone's probably like, I'll sprinkle a little structure over here. I'll throw a weed bed there. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's like they got bored and just started throwing darts. Where do you want to hump today? Okay, that one right there. All right, cool, cool. We'll put a 20-foot hump there. I mean, I don't get it. I mean, there's been supposedly – there was one lake. can't remember where it was, but there was supposed to be this this hump right out in the middle of the lake. Came up to like four feet. Non-existent. Wasn't there. And and, and there's nothing around it like that for 100 yards. Imagine how many guys go out there and think that it is there. And they're like, yeah, it says yeah. it's right here. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> the only ones that don't are the guys that ice fish. <laughs> they can drill out enough holes to, to find it. Yeah. They can grit it out. But yeah, no, electronics these days, man, if you learn to use them, learn to use it. Take the time. Yep. YouTube videos, the uh, uh, technological angler. He's huge. He's a hummingbird guy, but still, you know, it's you can take some stuff to Lawrence and whatnot, but it, he's full of information. And then here's the deal. If you go to a sports show, um, if you see some sort of pro, quote unquote, pro online and they've got a hummingbird or a Lawrence logo anywhere in their pictures, shoot them a message. Go, hey, I see you're with Lawrence. I see you're with Bird, Garmin. I've got a Garmin. I've got a whatever. Uh, I got a question. I need I need you to help me with this. How do I or what? Blah, blah, blah. Yes. They should. They should. As a representative of yes. that company, this is their job. To answer your question. Now, don't go asking them for GPS coordinates, but, no. but you know, like you said, ask they, them a question. Their they, job. Yep. They've got that jersey on. And I feel like sometimes it's like, oh, well, I look at that pro standing over there by that huge 16 inch Lorance screen or something like that. If you go over there and talk to the guy to how to navigate it, most likely your, your eight inch version of that or your whatever it is that you're, that you're buying, he's going to tell you how to walk through that. And, you yep. know, like you said, that is their quote unquote job or their duty or their commitment to that company to sit there and yep. go through it. And if you think like, Oh, I got to get out of line or I've, someone else has got to talk to him. No, sit there and take the time. If it takes you 40 minutes, sit there and don't, I, I hate to say make them, but you know, it's have, their job. It's their job. Have them show you how to operate that thing because you know, who knows how to operate it the best them because they want to catch right. fish for money, lots of money. And they're on the water a lot, and they'll show you shortcuts. They'll show you tricks on how to navigate things. They'll say, hey, this is what I do to mark a fish, or this is what I do real quick. Look at this. You can mark it. 
you can, uh, you know, write X, Y, and Z there or navigate from this screen to that screen. Or this is the why. This is why I like to set up my screens, my split screen like this. You can learn so much from that. And not only that, but like settings, like they'll tell you like, this is why I put it at this setting because this is why it's giving me this much uh, frequency. This is why I've got this interference rejection set up to this level. That's the kind of stuff that you can really hone in and why they do that. Yep. Yeah. Super I'll tell important. You, Gary, if you ever see Gary Parsons at a show, go talk to him because you are, if, if, if he's not busy, like super busy, he is about to give you a half hour presentation on whatever you ask him. Gary, the Godfather. I was at, I was, at a, I was at, a, at a show once and also a conference. He didn't know me at the show. He remembered me at, when I was at the conference with him. But I was at the show and I asked him a question. And next thing you know, I looked at, at my phone and it was 20 minutes later. And he's still talking about shiver minnows. <laughs> he, he told me what his three favorite colors were. He told me how to use them. He told me where to use them. He told me everything that he knew about freaking shiver minnows because I asked him. And that's his job. Oh, dude, he was at a show one time and he was sitting in a nitro and I was walking around like in awe of the boat and I didn't pay attention to who the pro was just sitting in the boat there and I'm walking around, things like that, and he peeks his head over the side. He's like, hey, can, can I answer any questions for you? And I look up, I'm like, holy shit, it's Gary Parsons. Uh, <laughs> no, man, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just window shopping at the boat here that I can never afford, but thanks. Yeah, yeah no, any pro, any if, if somebody's got a jersey on, unless, of course, it's a high school kid, Uh, it's a high school kid, you know, but if you see any of these, you know, so-called pro with a Jersey on working a booth, go ask them any question you have and don't leave until you get all your questions answered. That's what they're there for. That's why the booths are there. Yeah. And And if they won't, and if they won't answer your questions or they give you a hard time, find out who the boss is there and tell them, Hey, this guy's representing you. I had a question and he wouldn't answer it. Yeah, that's their job. That's their job. If they don't know what they're doing, they shouldn't have that logo on their chest. Yeah, and a lot of the times, too, is you're going to these shows, you'll find a local angler, too, that's like, hey, I got to go work this show um, because it's in my neck of the woods or whatever it is. A lot of the times... It's like like me. (laughs) Yeah, well, they're fishing the same lakes you are. You know what I mean? They live locally. So if they're fishing the same lakes you are, they might have that. A lot of the times, the one I went to, he brought his screen in there. He's like, hey, look at this. This is the that lake that you're talking about. Look over here. Yeah. And he's got it, his his spots marked on there. He had it, you know, already marked down. He's like, This is why do you ever know this was over here? And this is on a local body of water up in northern Michigan. I'm like, holy shit, he's just got his unit in here on display hanging out. And he just showed me something that he found. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do that all the time. And I'm I'm like on public bodies of water, kind of known community holes. If somebody doesn't know where to go. Yeah. And like, hey, I'm going to fish this for the first time. Da 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 da. I'll tell them about all the community holes that there are. I don't care. Right. I don't care. It's well knowledge. No, I'm not going to tell them about my little secret spots here and there, of course. Right. But but the well known ones, them, you still hey, have to catch the fish. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Everybody gets so secretive about certain things, and it's like it's a first of all, it's a community hole. Second of all, it's super pressured. Third of all, everybody's going to fish it different. Right. Yeah. Like I said. Secret spots, that's eh, one thing. Although, how many spots are secret these days anyway? Well, cool, man. Um, before we go, this has uh, been a great podcast and just, you know, 
BSing and hanging out and things like that. It's definitely, you've set the record, I think, for my longest podcast, which is great. Usually, like, I was going to ask you how, how long you go on podcasts typically. I can't, I can't remember. I'm always between like 47 minutes and like an hour and five minutes. It seems to be my sweet spot sometime in there. Usually, oh. <laughs> usually because I don't know the guests as well. Like I know you well, so I know you don't care sitting here talking about fishing forever, but I'm like, you know, I don't know this. He's got to get to his kids. Is his wife looking at him like, hey, what are you doing? You're spending an hour of your 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 time at home with some stranger across uh, the, the internet. So, but I know with you, you're cool. And like you said, your wife's most of the time like, why aren't you doing something fishing? Yeah. Well, I told her, I'm like, yeah, I got a podcast. You know, this is yesterday or when, whenever you asked me to do this, I go, yeah, I got a podcast on Thursday night. No, okay. <laughs> and then I came home today and I, and I was like, just to let you know, I also, uh, you know, I got the podcast and she's like, yeah, I go, I got one at three o'clock. I'm recording. <sighs> okay. Whatever. All right. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Like I'm going to bed in 13 minutes. So we're good to go. <laughs> so when's your next tournament? Uh, this Sunday on Lake Minnetonka okay. and I am praying for rain. Really? Yeah. Here's the problem with Minnetonka. It is pleasure boat central oh. uh it's it's a it's a chain of lakes I that you. are all connected bays channels blah 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 uh there's probably a million boats out there okay. it's utterly ridiculous you got small boats you got giant yachts yeah i mean 30 40 foot 50 foot boats out there so even on a calm day certain bodies of water out there are i cannot go in them in my boat because the waves are coming from literally every direction from all the boats the jet skis the wake boats and all that stuff so i'm praying for rain at least you know we start off at six so if you give me till like 10 11 o'clock and then stop raining that's okay because maybe it'll keep them pleasure boaters off for a while yeah oh the oh the wake boats the wake boats the wake boarders that like to come by and make huge waves it's great yeah nothing a two ounce jig won't make you feel better i mean what sorry (laughs) um well hey just before we go here um just give your plugs of what where you want people to kind of bring their eyeballs to get to to know you and their ears to listen to you and what you have to offer a little bit more yeah no uh my big push right now is come on over to the make fish famous podcast uh check that out i've got facebook page for that uh i i got instagram for it i'm not hugely active on it but i do update when there's a new episode um it's available pretty much anywhere episodes are available um so come check it out there and then smackdown outdoors podcast same thing podcast available everywhere Facebook page, Instagram. Uh, what I do on the SmackDown Outdoors podcast is every Tuesday night, uh, unless I've got something going on Tuesday, like last week was my anniversary, so I did it on Monday instead. But every Tuesday night, 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, I do it via Facebook Live. So you can come in, you can ask questions to my guests, and I don't get to all of them because I try to keep it somewhat just me and the guest. But, uh, but yeah, we stream them live 6 PM and, uh, yeah, we're doing some giveaways and stuff right now too for that. So come on out, check it out. Uh, otherwise, um, on my website, which is just smackdownoutdoors.com, I started a fishing guide, hunting guide and campground resort page where you can go and you can find yourself a fishing guide or a hunting guide or a resort. And what I need is I need more fishing guides. I need hunting guides, outfitters, and uh, 
campground resort owners. I don't have any hunting or the campground resort owners yet. So if you want to get on the page, I'm not charging anything for it. I just want to give people a place to go to find out, find a guide, find a place to stay. That's all it is. So smackdownoutdoors.com. And then you can also find the podcast there too, both of them. So yeah, you're on Spotify too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I should be on Spotify for both of them. Yep. I'm pretty much, pretty much everywhere. So yeah. Yep. So you guys listening to this, go check it out because there's, you know, the great thing about this is hopefully you guys obviously learn now about Doug's podcast and things like that. But you know, a lot of us, it, there's a lot of downtime there now to fill it between Tuesday or when I launch my episodes and, you know, Doug talks to a lot of other fellow podcasters and things like that. So there's a lot of great content out there for you guys to fill it up your work, your work week, driving, you know, your commute to and from work or whatever it is. If you're on the water, there's a lot of great options out there now. And we're just, you know, Doug and I have talked on this before, but just spreading the, the, the word of fishing and education. And yeah, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It's uh, it's been awesome, man. No, I appreciate it all, man. Anytime you want me to come on and, and vice versa, you can come on my show and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, for the folks out there, spread the word of podcasts. Yeah. Tell your, tell your friends about podcasts, even if they're not into fishing or hunting, if they're into, I don't know, baking, there's baking podcasts. I listen to Disney podcasts cause me and my wife are big Disney heads. There's Disney podcasts. There's crime podcasts. There's everything business. So tell people about podcasts, help them download a app and ask them what they're into and help them find a couple ones, a couple of them to listen to. Come on, everyone get wild. Get out there. There's yeah. a lot of podcasts out there. Yeah. And we all know you got at least a two hours every week to listen to us two knuckleheads talk about stuff. Right. And Doug, we are we have plans for the future to do things, right? Together? Uh, fishing or podcasting or both? Just meeting up at different locations, right? That yes, we might, sir. We have some ideas that we have out there, so stay tuned to that. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast, buddy. No, I appreciate it. Anytime. All right. See you, man. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, Doug Glimmerveen of the SmackDown Outdoors podcast. And remember to check out his new podcast that he just launched a little bit ago called Make Fish Famous. Make sure you go follow him, subscribe to his podcast. It's another great uh, fishing podcast out there for all of you guys to kind of fill that void in between listening to this one and others. You guys should always be able to have fresh new content in your phone ready to go at any time. And there you have it. So... Remember to head on over to Instagram. Uh, Freshwater Bite is the handle over there. DM me. Uh, ask me a question. Send me some new topics that you guys want to hear more about. But I will be getting back to you here in just two weeks' time with a fresh new episode for you guys to listen to. And uh, looking forward to having some great content coming out all summer long. So as always, folks, thank you for listening.